but we do have enemies. All of us in this room have an enemy. If you are a child of God, you have specifically one enemy. You have the devil who doesn't like you, who hates you, who wants to drag you into hell for all of eternity. Psalm chapter 17, and as you're turning there, uh, it was about 2000 and maybe 17 or 18. I had, we had uh, just, I had only been married for a few months, and I guess I'd been married for about a year, and we found out that we were pregnant with our first child, Titus. And uh, at that time, I was driving a 2002 Toyota Tacoma. It was a little small black pickup truck, and it was, it was uh, outside of Lydia. It was my most precious and valuable thing that I had at that time. And uh, we, we, we had been through a lot together, me and her, and uh, she was very reliable. She was very consistent for me. She was a truck, but she was a good truck. Uh, but that's not what the story is about. Uh, when we found out we were having uh, a baby, we had, I had to get rid of the truck, and it was tough for me. It was a two-seater two-and-a-half-seater, two-seater manual. So it was perfect for a couple and perfect because it had a a truck. You you could haul stuff, but outside of that, it was completely useless for families. So I had to get rid of it. Fortunately, my dad bought it. He still has it to this day. He still drives around. It's got like 250,000 miles on it. So it's still running strong, he says. Barely has to do any work to it. Another reason why I wish I could have kept it but sold that, and we were looking online, we were trying to figure out what car to get next, and we came across this 2001 Ford Escape. And um, uh, that was a mistake, <laughs> but so we came across it either way, and we ended up buying it. We bought it in cash. It was like 3,000 bucks. I think I talked them down to $2,800 or something like that. So I just, it was something cheap. Uh, it had, the mileage was kind of high. It was like 180,000, not, not too bad for a used car. But anyway, we got the car, and we were, um, after, after 24 hours of having it, we picked up my wife's friend from the airport, and we were driving back, and the, uh, the, the well, there's a technical term for it, is the master-slave, it wouldn't, uh, anyway, it, it broke down. And uh, so put about $500 into it, got it fixed, and then uh, a couple weeks later, the alternator went out, and uh, that was a fun story. I had to push, push it along uh, 72 Avenue, uh, that was another $500, that was about $200, I think. And uh, other things broke down. And I remember one time we were driving north on 152 Avenue, headed kind of towards the mall. And we got up to Frazier, Frazier's uh, Highway and on 152, just to, getting ready to cross over Frazier. And I hear this clank and this harsh metal scrape sound, like a bang. And it's just scraping really hard. And I'm just like, did the bottom fall out? Like at this point, you know, the, I'm just happy I had four wheels. Just like, Lord, what? You know, I don't know. And it was in the wintertime because there was snow all over the ground. And I didn't really know what it was. So if you know geography of Surrey, just over Fraser, there's like a small Petro gas station. It's like right next to a Savon. There's like a the Dutch like breakfast area. There's Quattro Coffee, which I frequent. Um, so I pulled into the to the gas station, and I remember as I opened the car door, and you know, if you know me, 
I, I'm not mechanical. I don't know. I know like I know a lot more now than I did before because of that car. I know where a lot of names are and I know how to sound like I know what I'm talking about. But I don't really know. And um, part of being a husband, you feel like you have to fix problems and fix things, you know. When the car breaks down, it's supposed to be my responsibility. So I remember opening the door thinking, God, I have no idea what I'm going to find in this car. And even if I knew what it was, I still wouldn't know how to fix it. I don't have any money. So I remember I opened the car, I stepped out, and uh, you know, I told my wife, it, it's, it's probably nothing, and I, I closed the door. I just remember thinking, as I'm, as I'm kneeling down to look under the car to see what it was, I just remember thinking, Lord, just give me, give me wisdom. <laughs> so I, I bend down, and it's snow all over the ground, so I had to lay some cardboard out that I had in the back of the car. And I look down, and I see our, a long pipe, our exhaust pipe, was at the front. It had broke up, and it was just on the ground. And uh, there's more funny stories of how that happened, but it's just... That's not the point today. But the, uh, the hanger that was holding it up had broke, and apparently it, had, it wasn't even attached. Apparently it hadn't been attached for many months. Um, didn't know that. So it fell down, it was scraping. So I'm outside in the car, and I'm Googling, because I don't know how to fix this. I'm Googling, can you drive a car without a, an exhaust or without a muffler? And uh, I found out, yes, you can. You can. It's fine. You just have to make sure, you know, there's things you have to be careful with. So I'm under there, and I've got this bungee cord, and I'm trying to tie it to the top, but I'm trying to fix it so we could at least go home and I could fix it later. It was very cold outside. And, you know, sometimes we just have days like this. Or in our case, we had a season like this. As long as we had that Ford Escape, life wasn't as fun as it could have been. Ironically, when that car finally died... Uh, somebody in the church gave us a new Ford Escape. <laughs> I was praying that God would give us a different vehicle, but uh, lo and behold, he gave us the same vehicle. It was newer, and that vehicle actually, what, I still have that one. Uh, I still have it parked at our, our house now. That one has actually been very reliable, um, so God is good. However, when we have times like this where you have a problem, what do you do? What's the first thing we do when we have a problem? Albert Einstein once said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Sometimes we create problems of our own. Albert Einstein also said this, it's not that I'm so smart, it's just that I stay with problems longer. So in his mind, he keeps going on the problem. Joseph Stalin, not somebody I recommend following, But he once said this, death is the solution to all problems. Wow. (laughs) Death is the solution to all problems. No man equals no problems. I mean, uh, that's a quote right there. Let me tell you. However, to combat that statement, we have a guy named Ronald Reagan who says, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men face. So when we have a problem, there's different ways of looking at the problem. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with your problems? Here in Psalm chapter 17, we see David has a problem, and he brings this problem before God. In Psalm 17, in verse 1, the Bible says, Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry, 
Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. So our message tonight is simple. What do we do when we have a problem? You could pray with me as we open our, our message here in prayer. Lord, thank you for today. God, I need your strength, your power as I preach. I could say a bunch of words and tell a bunch of stories, but Lord, I don't, I don't want me to tell the message tonight. I want you to do it through me. So Lord, please just use me this evening and help us just to draw closer to you. We pray in your name. Amen. So in this passage, David, uh, we're going to observe this prayer that David has and see how he handled this problem that he had. And the, I want us to see here the first thing that David does is he gives a personal inspection. He has this big problem, but the first thing we see him do is give this personal inspection. He reflects back on his own life before he gives his problem out to God. We don't even find out what the problem is till near the end of the chapter. So before he, he goes to God with this big bird and this problem that he has, he actually wants to make sure that his body, his heart, is in the right place first. Boy, if more people would just do that. We have a problem, we have an issue, and most of the time, a lot of times, we see people in their flesh dealing with the problem. That oftentimes ends in anger, ends in yelling, it ends in fights, it ends in breakups. But David said, you know what, before I do anything, I need to check my heart first. David has this huge problem. Something is bothering him. But before he gripes, before he complains, before he quits on God, before he digs into sin, before he returns to his past, before he leaves church, before he forsakes God, before he blames other people, before he calls in sick or runs from his problem, the first thing that David does is he goes straight to God. Go straight to God. That's what he says here in verse 1. Hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Verse 2 says, Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. He wanted to make sure that he was equal. He was right in the sight of God. It wasn't just a one-way conversation. He wanted to have God intervene. He needed God. David wanted God to inspect his life first, to make sure that when he makes his request, that God will hear and listen to it. Because we know that if there's sin in our life, God won't listen, he won't grant us, he won't, he won't listen to our prayers. David wanted to make sure that God was listening to him. We get inspected all the time in life. Many of us, we, we let a mirror inspect us, right? We look in front of the mirror to make sure we're, our tie is straight, uh, I don't even know if my tie is straight. I forgot to look into a mirror. We look into a mirror to, for some to make sure their makeup is in order, their hair is just right, to make sure they're, maybe they're matching. We look into a mirror for different reasons. Sometimes uh, our friends will inspect us. Hey, you got a little something over there. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Or our boss will inspect our work that we're doing. Sometimes we get inspected by a doctor. We get inspected by our, our wife to make sure that we are matching. We get inspected by our future father-in-law to make sure that we're the right one for his daughter. We get inspected by many things in life. Being inspected in front of a mirror or a doctor, your father-in-law is one thing. But to be inspected in front of God's word, 
that's an inspection that you have to be ready for. Because when you look into the law of God, when you look into the word of God, be ready to find things you don't like. Be ready for God to call out some things you maybe wished he hadn't. In James chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's this book right here, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. David wanted God to inspect his life to make sure that what he was about to request was true and done in a right way. And in this personal inspection in verse 3, we see that David observes his secret sins, or his secret conversations, rather. Look in verse 3. It says, Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me. And thou shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. David was so confident that he had nothing to hide from God. David said in verse 3, I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Thou shalt find nothing. That's the state that every Christian should be in. Well, we could have a request. and We can go to God. We can say, God, I want you to search my whole life. Find something that's wrong. But Lord, I know you're not going to find anything. Not in pride. David wasn't trying to be prideful. But David knew where he was. He knew that he was close to God. And this is important because there are so many times in life where Christians were not in the position that we should be in. And we come across a situation where we really need God in that moment. And as we're about to go to God in prayer, something maybe, uh, an emergency happens. You're about to go to God in prayer and you realize, I'm not even right with God. I've got some things I haven't even gotten settled with God. I need God right now, but now I have to deal with this first before I can even properly talk to God. David wanted to make sure that he was constantly living his life in tune with God so that whenever he needed God's help, he can get it right away. He can get an answer from God. He could feel like he can go to him at any given time. It's important that we constantly keep a, keep a good account with God. So David, first of all, observes his secret conversations. But look in verse 4. He says, you know, he's still talking to God. He says, now concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Verse 5, hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. David now is also observing his sinful practices. His sinful practices. He's wanting to make sure that his lips haven't said something they shouldn't, that the way, verse 5, his paths and where his footsteps were moving were not in a place where they shouldn't be. He wanted to make sure, Lord, I want to make sure my path, I'm, I'm going in the right direction. Not just saying the right thing, but going in the right place. Lord, observe my path. Am I going in the right way? And then lastly here, he talks about 
in verse 6 through 8, David observes his spiritual relationship with God. Verse 6, he says, I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me. O God, incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness that thou savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. David wanted to be in God's will. He starts off this prayer with a personal inspection. Before you talk to God in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, whenever it is, make sure you have a personal inspection of yourself first. Make sure before you have a request to God that, it's, that God's actually on the other end hearing it. And he wants to be. He is on the other end. But he's said in his word several times that if there is enmity, if there's sin between us, then God will not listen. He will not answer our prayers. And if we are to get God to answer our prayers, we have to do a personal inspection first. David has something that's on his heart, and he's about to share it before God. But he needed to be in the right place first. So after his personal inspection, we see that the second part of this chapter now, David, get, he presents the issue. Now he's presenting his issue to God. Lord, this is really why I came to you in prayer. I wanted to make sure we were right before I, I give this to you. What is this issue that David has? I kind of like this issue because I've had this issue before. Maybe you have too. This is David's issue. Verses 8 all the way through 14. Almost the rest of the chapter is the issue. So verse 8 says, Keep me as the apple of the eye. But then he starts out by saying, Hide me under the shadow of thy wings from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. David has three issues that he is pre presenting before God. And the first issue is the fear of his enemies. He's afraid of his enemies. Now, David, all throughout the Psalms, constantly talks about his enemies. And David was in a slightly different position than you or I are in today. I'm not, uh, we're not exactly sure where he was in this time. Some, a lot of uh, commentators believe that he had just become king or was just about to become king. None of us are in that position to become king or queens of our, our nation, our country. So we don't maybe have actual fearful enemies that are th trying to chase us with javelins like he, Saul was trying to kill him or the Philistines across the river trying to kill him. Dave, we don't have quite that type of enemy that David did. But we do have enemies. All of us in this room have an enemy. If you are a child of God, you have specifically one enemy. You have the devil who doesn't like you, who hates you, who wants to drag you into hell for all of eternity. We have the devil that wants to destroy your life and wants nothing to do with you. He wants to throw as many temptations as he can. He wants to stop you from helping here and attending here and doing this and, and completing that. That's the devil's job. We have enemies. We have the the devil, what, what's another enemy that we might have in our world today? We have the devil, what's another enemy we could have? We have the flesh, that's a big one. 
The devil is our enemy, but our worst enemy is our self. Our self gets in the way so much. Our flesh, that part of us that just wants to do wrong, that craves to do wrong. And, and really, the devil, he just feeds the flesh, is what he tries to do. The devil doesn't even have to really attack us too much. He just has to find our weakness and just throw it some meat, you know, feed it to get us to fall. Our flesh is, in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. It, it's, it craves evil, it craves sin. But man, when we're a child of God, our battle is to put our flesh aside and to follow Christ and to follow his will. It sounds easier said than done. We have the devil as our enemy. We have our, the flesh as our enemy. And what would be our last enemy that we may deal with? Devil, our flesh, and what's all around us? The world, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world that's around us is constantly, it looks appealing. You see laughter, you see excitement, you see this and that. And we'll often look from inside and think, oh man, I'm missing out. It looks so fun. Sometimes you ask parents and you ask others for advice. You know, why don't we do this and why don't we do that? Sometimes their answer isn't good enough for you. It's not quite what you'd like. And you think, ah, oh, I think they just missed it. They missed it. And like the prodigal son, they, he decides, you know what, dad, mom, dad, I, don't, I think you, you missed the boat here. I'm going to go out and explore on my own. And we find out the world is not what it cracked up to be. The world with its style, with its, its, uh, its music, and music is pulling and pu pulling us further and further away from God. Most of the music that teenagers and, uh, and people in general listen to is not Christian music. Most of the time when we're at work or when we're uh, just walking down the street, we're listening to something, normally it's, for the most part, and teenagers today, talking with other youth pastor friends of mine, most of their young people come into church, and most of the music they listen to is not Christian music. It's music of the world. And their argument is, well, it's not that bad. It's not like they're doing anything bad in it, although a lot of times it is. But if it's not pushing you towards God, that means it's, it's pulling you away. Because you can never just stay in the middle. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And though it may not be the same enemy that the devil, that, sorry, that David was in fear of, you or I today have every right to fear these, these enemies. Fear our flesh, fear the world, fear the devil. David was fearing his enemies, and he's asking God to protect him from that. But that's just the first issue. The second issue that David has is not just the fear of his enemies, but what about this one? The fame of his enemies. The fame. Say, so what do you mean by the fame? Well, look what he says here in verse 10. He says, they are enclosed in their own fat. He's sort of ranting here to God. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now come past us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth like as a lion that is greedy of his prey and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him. Cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked which is thy sword. David wasn't just fearing his enemies, but he was also, his issue was with the fame of his enemies. We see in verse 10, uh, he he's, kind of gives this metaphor 
that they are enclosed in their own fats. And the term fat is, uh, it's, it's used in a negative term and sometimes today as a, a derogatory thing. But, it, but back then, it was used as a way to ex actually explain somebody who was doing well. Because if you're poor, you, you normally you're skinny. You're, or you're even, you even look sickly. To, in order to be, quote, fat, in order to, to be that way, you have to have money. You have to have lots of food. So it was actually a, a sign of, of status. It was a symbol of status. And when you, David was saying, this is the, the wickedness. This is the, the enemies. These are the people who are doing things against you, Lord. They, they are enclosed in their own fats. In other words, the enemy seems like they're doing okay. They, they, they've got everything that they need in life. They're compassed in their own steps, and they've gotten to a point where they're so risen up that they even now look down on everyone else. Their, their fame, it's like they've gotten to a status so much in life, their fame is where they need to be, and now they can look down and taunt the people who are actually trying to listen and obey you, obey you God. <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but I've had this issue before as well. Lord, why is it that all these unsaved people are famous? You know, they're the ones with the money. They're the ones with the, the power. Why, Lord? We see athletes today and actors, and they appear on the outside to have it all. It seems like everything's going their way. Just uh, in these last couple of weeks, you know, in the NBA, there's they get to re-sign new contracts and max extensions. And uh, somebody just recently just signed the largest NBA contract in history. I think it's five years, 200 and like 60-something million dollars. If somebody can correct me on that. Uh, for, uh, five years, 260-something, like 64, 264 million dollars. Just like a million is a lot. But 200 million dollars over just five years it's it's a lot of money we look at these people and we think man they just they have it all we look at these actors social media is one of the leading causes for depression in in, in america north america today and at least that's what some people would say i don't know if it's the leading cause but i think it it, it adds to it but everyone seems to you know, on social media, you usually just post the best part of you. And if you don't have anything good to post, you just don't post it. You only try to make yourself look good on the outside. And I didn't really have much to do today, but you try to figure out something to make it look like you had fun today. And, and then here's somebody on the other side going, oh, man, look at those couples. They're always just smiling together. They look so, oh, they're so perfect. Oh, look at her. She's always just in, always in the perfect lighting. Everything's great. Look at that guy. He's just, man, I just wish. I wish that could be me. What, what do they have that I don't have? But what we don't see is the inside. We don't see what's really going on on the inside. Athletes, actors today, they've got lots and lots of money, but you or I know, we've read the stories. We've read the horrible divorce breakups. We've heard, we've seen a little bit into their life thanks to people gossiping and spying on all these actors and they want to know everything that's going on in their life. We know that as a Christian we know, but sometimes we forget that it looks like on the outside they have it all. But what's really going on on the inside? Because 
from the Bible, we, can, we know that true happiness comes from God. So if you're living a life without God, can you really have true happiness? And these people who don't believe in God, don't believe in the true God, they're trying to fill this void inside of them, and they do, sometimes they're able to get lots of money. They're able to have lots of friends, and they're able to look like on the outside things are going well, but they're hurt on the inside. And David is really struggling with this. Lord, why is it that my enemies seem to just have the fame? They have everything they need in life. Why, Lord? Why? But David's got one more issue. He's afraid of his enemies. He, his issue with the fame of his enemies. But it's got a third issue, and that's, which is similar to the second one, but it, it's the fortune of his enemies. He even goes one step further in verse 14. He says, From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure, they are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. Lord, not only do I, am I afraid of, of so many of wicked people, Lord, it seems like these same wicked people who don't love you, who don't care for you, they've got all the fame and they've got all the money they have in the world and they're able to even, it says, they have their portion in this life so much so that they could take care of their children. They could take care of everyone around them. And Lord, not only that, they have so much money, they could pass it on to their children's children. And they could take care of generations after them. And no doubt David is thinking in his heart, that there are many good, solid people out there in this world that don't have anything, that seem like they don't have money, that they're, they're struggling just to make ends meet. And yet this guy across the street doesn't even care about you, and you've given him all this. David has an issue. I don't know if you've ever had the same issue before. Maybe you haven't brought it to God like this, but you've thought about it. These are some pretty common things to think about. David is really struggling with it. And you know, when you're caught up in the moment especially, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're confused, we tend to only see the positive things that happen to the world and the negative things that happen to us. We get in, we get caught up in these moments where we forget all the good that we have and all we're consumed about is everything good that's happening to everyone else. We forget that wherever David was in his life, I imagine he's not quite king yet. I imagine Saul's trying to attack him. I imagine Saul, who was wicked, was trying to kill David, who was just trying to serve God. Whatever situation David was in, he didn't realize just how good he had it and was about to have it. David was confused, and he had these three questions before God. Why do I fear the enemy? Why do they have so much fame? And What is wrong with their fortune? But it's interesting. After giving his problem to God, David realizes and really figures out the answer to his own question. Because in this psalm here, God never intervenes and talks back to David. It's just in this prayer to God, David realizes the answer to his own questions. This is why it's so important that when you have a big issue, that you take it to God first. 
Because it's amazing how when we go to God in prayer, when we study the word, that we could actually find the answer out there for us. So after this whole rant, verse 14, we'll read it again. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasures, they are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. But as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. We see that David comes to God with, a, with this, a personal inspection. He gives God his present issue, but he ends the prayer with the problem ignored. The problem that's there, he just ignores it because he realizes what the answer truly was. He was ranting, he was raving to God, yet in all of it, he kind of realizes his own answer. After everything he just talked about, David realized that the only person that can truly satisfy his desires, that can satisfy his feelings, his troubles, and his worries, was God himself. Proverbs 27, verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. David began to realize that, you know what? I may not have it as much as they do, as much as they do, but yet, I've been happy before. I've been in a place where I was loving life. And even in those places where I was happy, I didn't have all the money that they had. I didn't have all the wealth and fame that they had. But yet I was still happy. Why? Because happiness isn't found in substance and things. Happiness is found in our satisfaction with God. William Walford is a name you probably don't know. But he was a, a marvelous man of God, and he was known for three things. One, he was a preacher. A preacher that was known for his tremendous scripture memory. And especially while he was preaching, and you could read his story, some of the folks that in, his, in, his, uh, in his congregation at times thought that he had memorized the entire scripture. Because he would be known to quote a pa- he would be able, he would be preaching and he'd go away from his bible and he would just start reading off chapter after chapter without ever looking at his bible he was a brilliant man with a great memory not only was he known for his scripture memory but he was also greatly known as a prayer warrior in fact in 18 in the uh, in the 1840s william penned the words to this famous song that i'm sure we're all familiar with The song says, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. He was known for his scripture memory. He was known for his tremendous power in prayer. But William Walford was known for something even greater than all those things. He was known for being blind his whole life. 
He would memorize scripture. He would have people quote it to him. And he would listen with intent and would memorize and would memorize. And he loved his life and he loved God. And he loved his Savior. We don't, we get caught up often in the negative in our own life. And we forget and we, we focus on the positive that's going on around everyone else around us. And that can cause depression, that can cause us to be down in the dumps. But when David was feeling this depression, when he was feeling lost and didn't have the answers, he went to God. He first cleansed his heart. He searched God. He searched his heart. He wanted to make sure he was pure and right with God. And then he gave his issue to God. And in talking to God, he realized, you know what? What am I saying? I know the answer to this. Yes, on the outside, they may seem like they have it all. But that money, that fame, that wealth they have is masking the emptiness that's going on inside. Most problems in life can be avoided if we would just give them to God before taking them to our friends for gossip or taking them to the internet or just keeping them in our grief. If everything were taken away from you and you only had God left in your life, would you be satisfied? Would you be satisfied? As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. So my question to you is this. What satisfies you? What would it take to satisfy your every needs? Would it take that next job? Would it take a spouse? Would it take this career? Would it take that car? Or if you had none of those things for the rest of your life, and all you had was your relationship with God, would that satisfy you? Because if not, then I think... We know, where one of our, we know where the problem begins. And we know where we need to get ourselves right with the Lord. And stop looking at everything else, looking at our enemies around us, and focusing on our relationship with Christ. And for some of us, that relationship has died down over the years. So let's build that relationship back up with God. And let's be satisfied with what God has given us in this world. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.